now the business that I know, you know, who invests, who puts money, who goes out, you know, there's agents, there's attorneys, there's so many elements to why we had the success. Yes, it starts with the music, but there are so many elements to making an artist, a song, a brand successful. So I just said, I want what's fair. I want what's fair. I don't want nothing more. I don't want nothing less. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. And I am excited to say that this is our one-year anniversary. This podcast has been around since beginning of April 2015, and I have been loving every minute of all these interviews and special shows that I've been doing. This is our 45th episode. So we did one episode every week for most of 2015, and then we switched to an every other week format to make sure that we really get quality content every other week to you guys. So I hope you've been enjoying all these episodes. If you have missed any of the great shows, we've interviewed so many talented artists with such great advice. Just go to femusician.com. That's femmusician.com. And you can look at all the different episodes. We have all 45 of them. It, you know, whatever niche you're in, if you're just a songwriter, if you're a singer songwriter, if you perform and tour, if you don't perform, you just record. There's somebody in there that's going to resonate with you and you're going to find some really quality advice and inspiration from our interviews. So go check those out at femusician.com. And I'm excited to bring you our episode number 45 with an artist that may seem familiar to you once you hear her story. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tina Harris. Remember the song Everything's Gonna Be Alright by the group Sweetbox? Lead singer and songwriter Tina Harris has been in total obscurity since the release of that huge international hit. In what is now a classic 90s music industry horror story, she signed a contract all in German and truly signed her life and her music away to the record label. After finding worldwide success, Tina tried to renegotiate the deal. They dumped her, replaced her, and kept her from making new music for almost a decade. Until now, Tina is back on the scene with a new album on Archer Records called Free to Love, and she's telling the entire story of Sweetbox for the first time. So here is my interview with Tina Harris. So that's a little bit about Tina Harris. So Tina, is there anything about you that's not in your bio that you think our listeners need to know about you? Uh, let's see, that I think they need to know. Um, or maybe that they really want to know about you that, you know, <laughs> inquiring minds. I guess I would just have to say that I'm not a good cook. And um, I'm actually pretty shy when you first meet me. Um, I guess that alter ego of the performer and then the individual, um, as a, you know, just as a person and, um, I'm very shy, but once you get to know me, 
(laughs) (laughs) Watch out, right? Yes. Yeah, I see that a lot. You know, a lot of times we have this alter stage ego, but then, you know, when we're off stage, we're not that super outgoing person. I think that's, it's, it's pretty common actually with artists. Yeah. So how did you get into music? Oh man, let's see. I guess we can take it all the way back to um, family life. You know, our house was full of um, music and dancing and, you know, my mom and dad, they sang in church. My mom sang as I, I grew up in Germany. So my mother often performed at the military clubs. And so growing up with the influences of music and dancing, um, I think that really started it all. We danced for our cousin, um, Turbo B, who was part of Snap, and we went on tour with him. Um, my sisters and I, uh, we always went to the club together and danced and got in competitions. And, you know, we kind of became uh, the Harris girls. Uh-oh, the Harris girls are in the competition. <laughs> and we know we're going to lose. And so, yeah, that's the true start, I guess, of the music business, because to me, it's so many dynamics. It's dancing, it's a look, it's a song, it's being able to write, it's being able to engage people. So I guess the true essence of our start is definitely through the home life. I didn't realize that you had, did you say you toured with Snap? Yes. Wow. Well, that's that's certainly a start. Yes, it's it's a big start. Actually, my um, sister Angel and I were in college at the time, and our cousin, Jerome Butler, better known as Triple B from Snap, he was the rapper. Um, he was stationed in Germany um, at the time, and um, he had uh, done some rapping on a track through some German producers. And at the time, they were having some opportunities with the original singer of the song, I Got the Power, and um, they were asking Trouble, well, do you um, have any friends or family members that are in Germany that can sing and dance? And he was like, "Um, yeah, I have um, some cousins here. And um, my sister Jackie, you know, we all sang, but that wasn't really our like goal in life to sing because we love dancing so much, but she, we could all sing. And so um, he gave um, Jackie a call I guess the rest is history. She was pulled to London to shoot a video for I Got the Power. Um, Again, she doesn't do the original vocals, but for all the touring and everything, she did all the vocals. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, so, right. So I'm going to go back into your your long story in a minute, but I just want to find out right now, do you consider yourself a full-time musician or a part-time musician? Or, you know, do you have other things that are on your plate that are kind of helping bring in that income or are you just doing music full-time? No, I am a full-time musician. Uh, throughout the struggles that I've had in the industry, and I'm sure we'll talk about them a little later, but I'm definitely a full-time musician. Um, This is what I have decided or kind of it was written for me. You kind of don't decide that you want to do this. You kind of have a passion for it. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Again, whether I sell a million or, or one record, it's just the whole process for me. I, I really love, so I want to give it uh, a kind of a go around again. Having reached the highest that someone could reach and selling five million records worldwide and touring in forty five countries, and being caught in the transition from late eight nineties music, excuse me, to now, really puts my uh, I guess my my bump of enthusiasm up a little bit. Well, let's talk about that because I want you to tell your story about, you know, after you were in Snap, you know, how did you end up in Sweetbox and, you know, just how did all that happen? And then, I mean, it's just, to me, it's such a, 
a really intriguing industry kind of story. And, you know, obviously it's a huge bummer as well, but I think a lot of us can learn from it. So if you could just kind of give us a, a tour of what happened after you were performing with Snap and how that ended up, how you got to where you are now. Okay. Um, we had a large opportunity with Snap, my sisters and I and our cousin, and we got to open for Michael Jackson in Bucharest, Romania. Um, it was actually on that stage, on that performance, on that Dangerous World Tour, after seeing 90,000 people in an audience swarming and and just feeling that, I can't explain it, just feeling that like that energy that came from the crowd based upon music and you're in a, a country that doesn't speak uh, English and people are united and it's just, it was just a, a overpowering thing. And it was at that time that I decided this is what I want to do. I want to be an entertainer. I want to be able to make people feel what I'm feeling right now, just through music. I mean, how powerful is that? So after touring with um, Snap, we were on the road for about nine months um, after that, my sisters and I started um, a girls group. And after Snap, what we realized is that fans really make us who we are because they're purchasing records. They're at the airport when we come. They're buying magazines. They're liking us on social media. Well, that's social media back then in that sense. But And so we decided to name our group BOY, which stands for Because of You, Because of Fans make us who we are and we appreciate you. I know it sounds cliche, but this is what we really figured out in our young age in the music industry that the people made you really who you are. And so um, after Snap, we released a couple of singles together, um, my sisters and I, and then my sisters uh, decided, uh, long story less long, <laughs> Decided that they didn't want to do music anymore. And they were like, you know, you should do it. You've written all the raps and all the songs. You make all the dance routines. You seem to be very passionate about it. We support you in everything that you want to do. So after we had created um, somewhat of a buzz, you know, Harris Girls, they got records out. And a lot of people thought we were TLC at the time because they really mm. hadn't gotten large in Europe. So, I mean, we were wearing funny costumes and stuff, but kind of like them, like the Flintstones hats. And I have lots of pictures with that kind of stuff. It's funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When you look back. So long story again, less long. Um, we... Uh, a producer uh, had heard about us, uh, you know, just through word of mouth that um, there's a young lady who sings and she raps and she writes. And um, the Sweetbox producers contacted me through another producer that I was working and asked if I wanted to come to the studio. At the time, they had a male artist and they were just looking. He was a singer, Christopher D. Taylor. And they were just looking for a female to come in and maybe do a little bit of rap and backing vocals on his um, track. So I went to the studio met the producers. And at the time, again, I was just going to do additional vocals and stuff like that. And we ended up making two songs that day in the studio because the original singer actually didn't show up for the session. So he was like, you want to just make some music? And I said, sure. So I wrote some stuff in the studio and, you know, we did a few things. And that began, I guess, my introduction to the production team, as well as the producer, Gio, who produced the Sweetbox album that I was a part of. That's how I initially met um, the Sweetbox producers. Uh, now you have to educate me a little bit because I was really out of it in late 90s music and I'm not even sure. So how big was Sweetbox in the United States? Because I actually did not know the song until I looked it up when I got your information. Okay. 
I don't, I never want to seem like I'm, first of all, like, like bragging or anything like that, but these are just facts. And you asked the question. <laughs> I did ask. <laughs> and you're only as good as your last hit. And I know that music transcends time a little bit. So um, Sweetbox was um, very large once I joined the project. Previously, they had a couple of singles with other artists. Uh, when they asked me to join the project at the time, uh, they hadn't had any singles like in two or three years. Um, Sweetbox was released in 45 countries. Um, it sold over 5 million albums worldwide. Um, it was uh, platinum in France, gold in Spain, Portugal, all these different territories. I won the Gold Disc Award for Artist of the Year and Song of the Year uh, in Japan. The album was four times platinum in Japan. Um, in the United States, we were privileged to have toured with NSYNC and Britney on a North American tour, as well as, I guess, before branding was, I guess, sponsored by an artist, the song Everything Is Gonna Be Alright was used in the Lancome commercial for the perfume OE. And when we came to the United States to tour, we were doing all of the Macy's stores where if you bought the perfume, you got the CD, and if you bought the CD, you got the perfume. And I performed across North America inside those stores. You, it was a 33-country spanned um, marketing campaign for everything is going to be all right with the perfume OE. Sweetbox did um, chart in the billboards um, in the top 40 um, billboards with the song "Everything's Going to Be All Right." So it, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty big deal being a production company from um, Germany who kind of transcended all of these border-breaking countries, you know, with a classical theme song and an American artist from German producers. And um, that was the start of it. Later on down the line, you know, um, Tyler Perry used Everything's Gonna Be Alright and the Medea um, reunion movie, and it was used in Mercedes commercials. So there were a lot of opportunities that came with it. And um, so it was pretty, pretty successful. Yo, oh, thank you for educating me. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the, you know, the, this, what had been going on with the song in the U S for whatever reason, you know, obviously I know Brittany and in sync and that's amazing that you got to tour with them. Um, so when you got hooked up with them, did they have you sign a contract or, you know, did you have any manager or lawyer representing you or anything? No management, no lawyer presentation. Mm. Um, I guess the process when I met Gio and the other gentleman, which I call, to me, I call him um, <laughs> BP, which stands for bad person. Um, <laughs> I would not like the opportunity of saying his name because, you know, it would only bring, you know, anyway. So, right. um, yes, I, I signed a contract, you know, I, I was young. I thought we were friends. I thought it was cool. And they were like, this is, you know, we have to do this because, you know, you getting ready to go on tour. You better just do all these videos. And, you know, as an artist, you're thinking they were like, oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. And I'm like, I'm trusting, you know, what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. very trusting. I'm very excited. You know, I didn't know we were supposed to make money off of this stuff. You, you, you don't, you know, you don't think about, you know what I mean? You don't think about that. You're like, wow, I wrote something. People like it. And it was just so overwhelming and so fast. Oh, yeah, I can definitely understand that. I mean, you get caught up in the excitement. Somebody likes something that I'm doing, you know, and I, I, I've seen so many artists this happen to them and I see why it happens. And, it, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's so fast. 
that you're, you're not even, you're in a whirlwind. You're not even thinking, oh my gosh, I need to get someone to look this over. And you know, yeah. Yeah. wow. So what happened next? So you're, you're huge. And then what happened? Did you decide that you wanted a little more artistic control or? No, um, it, it is the strangest thing. I believe everything happens for a reason first. So you're getting to know me now, you know, as the person. And I kind of believe everything happens for a reason. As far as artistic control, we'll talk about that first. I was, I had the fortunate opportunity that I was able to write. You know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. German producers. So they didn't know the English language. They didn't know what I meant when I said no doubt or when I said, uh, you know, something that was a catchphrase or something. I'm not rocking with you or, you know what I'm saying? I'm from the hood or can you get with that? Or, you know, whatever <laughs> things that I might have said. So I had that creative control as far as writing my own lyrics and delivering my own message. What I had no control over was what I wore, where I went, what I what I could say. I didn't have those freedoms. But again, I was naive and I figured these are my friends. They're going to guide me in the right direction. You know, they had their little points on the wall and it was all impressive when you walked into their studios and they were professional. So they looked the part, they talked the part. And I'm going to be believing in these guys because I've never done this before. You know, just because you tour with someone and you were a dancer doesn't mean you get to see the insights. You know, he flew, Turbo flew when we rode a tour bus. You know, mm. showed up to dance. We sh- we got our sizes for our clothes. We got our makeup. We were told to be here at a certain time. We were told this is going to be on TV. This is open air. And we had fun. Boy, did we have fun. You know, all the countries he went to. So you didn't get an insight sitting next to the artist, maybe when he was fighting about how much do I get paid for this gig or why am I not getting per diem for this and why is this going to be not broadcasted and, you know, all of these things like that. So we didn't have that opportunity to learn that side um, from Turbo. So um, having creative as far as writing, but not as far as how Speedbox was delivered, um, was not given to me as an opportunity. So while on tour in the United States, um, of course, I know now the beast that the United States is being so naive. And that's not a bad thing, how beastly in the sense of um, go-getters, hustlers, grinders in the United States. Obviously, it's in Europe because I got hustled. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But when people started seeing how much success this was, she raps, she sings, she's cute. You know what I'm saying? She, she's, she's a star in the making. Lawyers started coming to me. All the vultures and, and, and people in the industry started coming to me. And um, I had met this lady um, named Sherry in Germany when my sisters and I were in a girls group and we opened for like R. Kelly and um, Gerald Levert in Germany. And um, she said, if you're ever in the States, you know, give me a call. At the time, she was working for LaFace Records which I didn't know exactly who that was then, you know, there mm. were Usher or Tony Braxton and all these things. And she became a good friend and we talked on the phone and things like that. So I was like, well, I'm going to be, um, you know, in um, Detroit and we're performing at the the garden. I mean, the, the Piston Stadium with NSYNC and come on out and see us. So she she was already in town that day. So she came out and seen us. And she was like, how's everything going? You know, and she started saying things to me like, you know, are you making money? Do you have a manager? Do you have an attorney? And I was like, no, they provided me with everything. So Mm. I never thought about that. You know what I'm saying? And then we started doing all these club tours also during the time we were touring with NSYNC and Britney. So we'd go to New York. We do 
the concert with them. And then we'd have all these other little shows in the little tri-state area. So one gentleman, and I will never forget this because I was so, so stupid. Oh my goodness. He was like, do you want the 50,000 now or do you want the 50,000 after the show? And I'm like, 50,000? What is he talking about? Oh, so I said, oh, no, um, you can go talk to Ali. You know, he handles all that stuff. You know, I'm just creative. I'm just an artist. I go where I go, you know, do what I do. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as an artist. And so the production company always gave me a monthly letter that showed what was promotion, what was paid and, you know, that kind of stuff. So when I got and this happened a couple of times before I actually realized it. I was just thinking, okay, this is just what is supposed to be, you know, happening. But one time I got a statement and I said, this show was a paid show, but it says promotion on here. And usually promotion, we didn't get any money. We got a per diem, hotel, transportation, you know, industry stuff. Right. And so I said, okay, hmm. Oh, well, I'm sure it's just an error and I didn't worry about it. So I met up with Sherry again in Atlanta and I said, do, do you get paid for promotion or are we making, am I supposed to be making money for shows? And she was like, absolutely. So she said, can you get a copy of your contract? I'm going to send it to um, William Leibowitz so he can take a look at it. And I was like, okay, sure. So it was in German. And so she sent it to him and they had it translated. And then she called me and she was like, oh my goodness, Tina. She was like, do you know what you signed? Um, I was like, um, I signed to be to be Sweetbox, to be a friend. <laughs> so um, she was like, no, sweetheart, no, no, no. She's like, this is so unfair. And then uh, she explained everything to me and kind of schooled me. We talked for hours and hours. And I was like, wow. And I remember she sent me this book called Everything You Need to Know About the Music Industry. Mm. <laughs> I've since forwarded that book on to another person who has some struggles that I knew of with the same thing. But I remember reading that book and almost like a complete, complete idiot. I was like, they must have thought I was so stupid. Mm. So I asked Sherry, I said, what does this mean? And what do I do now? And thus the next saga continues. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Just that, that just hurts me. And I, and I know that it happens to so many people. Like I would definitely not say that you're stupid. You know, I mean, we get caught up in something that we love. People are telling us that we're valuable. We're doing something amazing and we're not thinking about the money at that moment because we're enjoying it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I definitely don't think you're stupid. I don't think that any artist that this happens to is stupid. I just think that they're not they're ignorant. They're not educated. And, you know, that's what this show is all about. Like, I don't want this to happen to any other artists. Absolutely. And I know now that it's not stupid. Like you said, it truly is ignorance. But once you're in that moment and you. Oh, yeah. You just feel like you want to like, like crawl up and in, in up to a ball and, and stay in the corner, you know. Yeah. And the funny thing is I was Brielle was making money. I want my bank account, you know, I was making money. You know, and it was just enough to say she's not going to pay attention. She's not going to pay attention. So I, I'm not. I kind of grew up with a silver spoon. I'm a military brat. We we traveled. We did things. My I grew up well. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So everything for me was not based upon oh, how much money you make or how many records you sold. It was just like I have the ability to do this, and not a lot of people do this. And maybe there is a gift that God gave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And I was making money and I thought it was fair. And I'm like, it's enough for everybody to eat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it, 
it was overwhelming once I found out the truth, you know? Yeah. And so then you probably felt like, well, how can I continue to work with these people that lied to me? Yeah. I kind of, um, I kind of looked at him with the kind of like the stank eye, like, mm, I'm scared now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Of course I'm in Europe. It's a foreign language. I don't speak it as well. I get the gist of it. Um, you know, happy. Hi, Hey, we're going to send you on vacations. And I went to some of the most beautiful places and I'm like, is all of this part of this? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, when it came down to, after finding out all this information, I think one of the, well, there's a couple of things that really hurt, but the biggest thing that hurt was the relationship that I had with the producer, a strictly work relationship. But as most musicians know, or anybody that's doing a craft where you have to work with a team, you build a partnership, a relationship, a friendship, you know, and we shot we did that everything is going to be all right album in less than two weeks from music mm. to lyrics. I didn't leave that studio. And how can you not get to know the person that's in there? We laughed. Our breath was stinking and we didn't take a shower. <laughs> argued. We had fun when it was finally done. And the biggest thing that crushed me was when all of this happened and I tried to talk to Gio, he would not hear me. I called him and I called him and I said, something is not wrong with BP. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, mm-hmm. he is doing something so, so wrong here. And I looked at Gio as, you know, that's one thing that no, no business person can take from us artists. And that is our skill. That is our talent. That is our existence through writing and, and delivering the message. No business person can take that from us. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? And I kept saying that to myself because, I mean, they told me, you'll never be anything. You can't sing. You can't rap. Nobody's going to want to hear from you. You'll never make it in this. I mean, they beat me down. Okay. Oh. And so not being able to reach Geo was a big problem for me. But we'll fast forward a, a really quick. A couple of years later, he I got an email from his people saying he wanted to bring me to Germany to talk to me. Long story, less long. <laughs> I just got that phrase from somebody else. (laughs) The same thing that happened to me happened to him. This BP person actually stripped him of everything. Oh my gosh. And he, he, he brought me to Germany and I was so scared. And I was like, you know how that's, what's that thing? Shame, fool me once, shame on me. Right. I sound like Bush. I forget the phrase. (laughs) But uh, I said, I don't, I was so nervous to go over there to see him because I was like, are they going to kill me? Are they going to ambush me? What are they going to do to me that they've already done? And um, I prayed about it and I, and I decided to go and we sat, I'm telling you 24 hours, we sat and talked, we had a few drinks, but we sat and we talked for hours and hours and he apologized and he was the most important person to me throughout this mm-hmm. entire thing. And he apologized. And I was like, you don't have to apologize. I was like, you were, you were a German friend of his. You, you, you spoke the same language. You trusted this person, you know? Wow. Wow. Well, that must've, it must've felt good to have at least somebody who went through it with you. I mean, it's unfortunate that it happened to both of you. Yeah, it is truly, truly unfortunate. Ugh. So what was in the contract? Did they did they not permit you from doing any more music if you weren't with Sweetbox and you weren't abiding by their rules? Had you said, 
in your contract that you then were unable to perform? Oh, yes. So what I decided with my attorneys was I kind of took ownership. You know, I said, you know what? Shame on me. I signed this contract. I, 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 I'm responsible. You know what I'm saying? I took ownership. Mm-hmm. I'm a big girl, you know? And I said, we don't have to change this first album. But in the kindness of your heart, because we're friends, you say we're friends and it's really about the music. Can we renegotiate for the next four albums so it could be fair? I didn't ask for anything more than I deserved. I just wanted to be fair. And when you say to yourself in the industry, well, what's fair? How do you define fair? Now the business that I know, you know, who invests, who puts money, who goes out, you know, there's agents, there's attorneys, there's so many elements to why we had the success. Yes, it starts with the music, but there are so many elements to making an artist, a song, a brand successful. So I just said, I want what's fair. I want what's fair. I don't want nothing more. I don't want nothing less. And they just, no, you can leave. We can fire you. You can quit. You'll never be able to record again. And I'm like, I'll never be able to record again. They didn't quite sit in with me. Like you, you can't, I can record at home. Now, I might stop it from getting to the world. And I just felt so trapped. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, how arrogant. What are they hiding? Is this greed? I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, well, who was these people? They don't, they're not who, who, who I met. They're not who I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, he was like, well, you can take that. You got four more albums to do. We expect you to 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 come into the studio next week and record this album because we know that you want to be here and this is all you got. And I was like, oh my god! I was like, okay, um, I'll see you guys next week. So they didn't see me next week. I had my attorney send a letter that said basically she will no longer be um, Sweetbox at this time, and we um, thank you for you know just a typical political attorney, you know, letters. And um, they sent the nastiest <laughs> back to my attorney. She can't record for eight years. Everything she records, we will get paid off of. She will never make another dime in this industry. Oh, so it said in there that you couldn't record for eight years. Yep. Okay. Yep. But but after that, then you could. Uh, then after that, I could, which brings me to now. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank goodness. I mean, so what year did that happen? That happened. Oh, my God. Uh, where are we at now? We're at 2016. Eight, so eight, I think it was eight. It, I think it was 2000. Shoot, I, I can't even get it right. I think it was 2008 with the option year after that. So I had to wait another year, actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, so those old bones. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time, what did you do since you couldn't record? Could you, could you perform? No, I didn't. No. Uh, I have the right now because my attorneys fought for me to be able to perform the songs that I wrote. So that's a whole nother story. Mm. (laughs) I guess the only sweet outcome is that because I wrote and the publishing was correct. I, I, that's how I'm able to survive. So to speak, I, I, there's so much money still in this song. Every time he has another artist cover it, of course. Um, my attorney worked out any use of the song has to be in the original, which is me, not the cover versions because they tried it um, mm-hmm. with their new artist as um, Sweetbox. So 
with me not being able to record, of course, I was living in Germany at the time. And every time I went to the store, through the airport, um, through the the train station or wherever it may be, people, oh, my gosh, oh, my God. I mean, it was pandemonium there. You know what I'm saying? It was, you know, crazy. And I was like, I've got to get away from this. <laughs> yeah, everywhere you go, you're reminded that you, you are this person, that you can't be this person, you know? Yeah. Oh. So where did you go? I moved to Atlanta. <laughs> mm. My friend that um, kind of helped me through the transition, Sherry, she um, lived in Atlanta at the time. And um, I just picked up. This is the first time I ever lived in America on my own. I mean, my parents had to co-sign because, you know, I'm an army brat. <laughs> so yes. I moved to Atlanta and um, it was a complete whirlwind because I haven't really been in the United States. So it was a complete culture shock, a complete whirlwind things I had never seen before. Um, yeah, it was an adventure. <laughs> wow. So you, you are able to then get all the money from the songs that you wrote because of publishing. That's fantastic. At least they didn't screw you out of that. Yes. Yes. You said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's been, yeah, it's been very fruitful. And um, um, like I said, they can't take that from us. Take everything you want, the fame, the money, you know what I'm saying? The status. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you, you can't take writing. So all this eight years when you couldn't perform and you couldn't record, did you have all these songs inside you that you were wanting to write and were you writing them? Oh yes. I have so many songs as you can't even, remember. I continue to write. I have a home studio, but I have to confess when I moved to Atlanta, the first two years I partied, like it was nobody's business. Ah. <laughs> uh. I was like, I'm in America. I have never, I had the best time because remember I have been touring for three years, going from Russia to Japan, Japan to Sweden, Norway to Denmark. You know what I'm saying? Korea to, you know, it, I had traveled out of a suitcase and all of these beautiful places that I had been, I never had the chance to see. And let alone did I know anything about the United States because it was, you're here, you're talking here, you got this in this building, you're going to Canada, you're performing here. So I just lived for those first two years. And it was one of the best things that, that kind of like ever happened, you know, to me, I learned a lot, you know? Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. When, when you're on tour, you're kind of in a bubble. Yeah. And so you finally got a chance to live your life. I mean, that's, that's great. And, and then the song started pouring out. Yeah. Oh, no, trust me. The song started pouring out in Germany. I have so many, mm. I would say that I don't think hate, I don't like hate because I am really about love. That's why Free to Love is my title. And everything that people reaching by is love, Tina Harris, love, Tina Harris. You know, music equals love. But I have some songs that are so evil. Because I'm a writer. So I was able to write these things inside me I didn't know I had. And maybe they'll come to light one day. But, you know, I guess I'll have to find a place for that. But I wrote some things that... Uh, I didn't know I could go so dark. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, sometimes life takes you there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. So now that you're you're out of all that stuff, you are like in your new life in America. And when did you know that you were ready to release an album? Um. Well, a couple of things happened in Atlanta that kind of brought me to that. Um, I didn't realize how serious you can't record you, everything you do will make money off of and you'll make zero until I started going, you know, I got a chance to meet Outkast and Usher and all these people in Atlanta. 
And they're like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Let's do some work with her. And she's like, no. And then people started to look. They was like, oh, she's like untouchable. You know, we can't do anything with her. That's for, you know, from a business perspective, for us to work with someone we can't make the money off of. That is the business part of, of, of this game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember getting to a point where after those two years, I was like, I, I just can't. I, why am I focusing on music when I can't do it? I've been stripped. So I'm not going to do music. And I remember I, I I broke down one time and I was like, I called my mom and I was like, mom, what am I going to do? I don't know anything else. I didn't have any other jobs. I didn't do anything. And I don't want to do music anymore. I just think it's evil. I think, you know, it, it it's not for a person like me as big of my heart is or as compassionate I am. And, and I, it's just not for me. And so she was like, if you don't want to do music anymore, you have to remember that because you have money, eventually what goes out and doesn't come in doesn't balance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So kind of stop partying and being free living. Remember, I didn't have any friends in the United States. So I remember my first friend that I met in the United States outside of Sherry was a girl that I met at a grocery store. And she's one of my best friends still today. So it was like her and I terrorizing Atlanta because she knew that area. So after this heartful um, conversation with my mom, she was like, just go get a job. Just like nobody knows you. And, and this was right on the verge of a... This internet, I guess, stuff where people could Google you and <laughs> Wikipedia. And I guess it was already out there, but I just hadn't been paying attention to this new thing coming up, I guess. And so um, I said, OK, I'll try it. And I was like, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, just go on job sites and take a look and see what, you know, what what you want to do. So I said, OK. So I went to this job site in Atlanta and um, I saw a position at a hotel <laughs> and it said uh, operations supervisor for uh, food and beverage. And I was like, OK, so the more I read into it, it talked about room service. It talked about fine dining. It talked about all of these things that I said, well, and it was in a hotel. And I was like, well, I travel a lot. I know what to expect for room service. I know I want my room to be clean. I want my people to be friendly. So I had all these things because I had traveled so much. So I went to the interview and um, I didn't have any job history on this resume. And um, the lady was like, I didn't even know why they called me. I guess I said, you know, that I'm an army brat. I grew up in the you know, military and I put my... Um, high school and college um, work programs that I worked, you know, how you get to work, but get credits and stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> sorry, am I too long winded? <laughs> no, no, no. I, this is really interesting to me. <laughs> and so um, they called me and um, I said to myself, why is she, why does she call me? But she said to me, um, what do you know about hotels? And I swear, I had diarrhea in the mouth. I was like, oh, I know what I expect when I get in my room. I want my sheets clean. And I talked about when room service comes. I don't want any plastic. I want my silverware. I just went on all these things from a guest perspective. Okay. (laughs) And she was just like, damn. She was like, you know, did you go to school for hospitality? And I was like, no. And at the time, I was not mentioning anything about the music. Okay. I had this black suit that I wore to an award show and I wore that to the interview because <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what, what to wear. But then I looked on the websites and saw them in their suit jackets and their pants. And I was like, okay, 
Um, so she was like, okay, great. I'm going to um, forward you on to our food and beverage director and he's going to interview you. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's that what happens. You go to the next one. And so I'm talking to him and then I left and she was like, we would like to hire you. And I was like, what? You know, like me. So I started working in hospitality and my first job was at the Renaissance Waverly downtown Atlanta. Wow. Wow. So did, so did you like it? I actually, I actually loved it, Bree. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the part of the performer has to engage people and, you know, you kind of love to sell the experience. And so, you know, I was all, my pleasure. I'm delighted. Absolutely. How can I assist you? You know, they were like, this girl is tripping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I think that I, when I set my mind to something, I, I do it and I do it to the best of my ability. And I remember the GM, the general manager at that hotel at the time, um, Bo Latavere is his name. He was like, you have something in you and you could be me one day. And I'm like, what? So I set my sights on being a general manager and became a general manager of a courtyard, Marriott, and a residence in Marriott. And I worked in hospitality for quite a while until I decided to go to Memphis. Now, why did you decide to go to Memphis? Um, I've been through, like most artists, it's the same old story. You go through bad relationships, abuse, all this crap. And um, I met someone who was very, I guess, reflective of who I am with the values, you know, that that I have. You know what I'm saying? And um, at the time, I thought he didn't know who I was. But jumping back to the hotel, people started bringing cameras to work, asking me all these questions. They had Googled me and found out. And I was like, I got to get out of here. Oh man. It got real bad for a while. I'm like whispering and she sings and oh my God. And then I was like, why is everybody looking at me? And you know, it, it got to that point. So I left that hotel and I went and worked at Ritz Carlton too, which was crazy. And cause I started seeing all the people I know, like Usher would come in there and a whole bunch of people. I was like, Oh my God, everything. I know that girl from somewhere. So anyway, so I, um, I met a gentleman that I, um, I actually fell in love with and, um, he was going to move to Memphis. So I said, what the hell? No kids, no dog, just me. I'm out. So, and all that time I was always writing because I'm a poet. So I always write. I have binders and books and books and books, just like every other artist of lyrics. You know, I'm, I'm nothing special in that sense. But we went out um, to dinner um, in Memphis downtown. And he was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, mm. and I was like, I just, I don't know. The, the music, the guitars, the live band, the bass the raspiness of the person singing that day. And I still to this day don't know who that band was. And if I did know, I would probably say thank you for reminding me of who I was and what I what I bring to the table. And we stayed there probably for about four hours listening to this band. And it just struck something in my, I don't know, in my soul and whatever you believe in, you know, whether a soul or veins or, or it just struck this little you know, lightning or fire in my ass that said, girl, this is who you are. And everything about that day, I remember the lights, the people, the stage, the smell of barbecue and whiskey and and how it was dirty. You know what I'm saying? But it was so Memphis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. I mm. that. And um, that's when um, I asked myself, who are you? 
and what you're supposed to be doing. And it started back from there. And when, when was that? That was, I think it was 2010. Oh. So how long did it take you to make your, your album then? Was it from then until when did you release it? 2015? Um, or 2016? It, it didn't, it didn't. Um, no, I didn't write the album. Some of the songs I had ideals of them, but that was not when I met Ward. After that night, I just pulled out all my platinum plaques. I've opened my studio back up because I hadn't unpacked it. I left it in the mm. because I was figuring it's the past. I don't need to see it. But the room that I have has the plaques, all the CDs, all the memorabilia, all the awards, and then my studio. And so I said, let me pull some of this stuff out. This is this is who I am. I need to see it to be able to live it again. And um, I just started writing again. I started um, focusing on craft. And I was trying to decide if I wanted to rap or <laughs> sing. You know what I mean? Because I do both. That's a unique thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that rap and sing, but they're not always believable. You know what I'm saying? Right. I had to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew who I was musically, but I had to figure out, do I want to rap or sing? And I had done a lot of research online, what rappers look like now and what's the longevity and what singers look like now and where do I fit in the market? All the business things that I didn't know from the past. And so it was about two years of that process because I had to really make sure and I would go to Bill Street and listen to music and I would look online and I would learn the social media thing and learn what it would take for me to get back. Having been in the transition of where music is now from when it was in 1998 to now, 97, you know, to now, it is a big transition. Not a lot of artists um, had the opportunity to straddle both sides. You know what I'm saying? Right. Artists that are 15 and, and years old now only know this social media stratosphere of what entertainment looks like. And I can become famous if I get a million hits mm. saying or I get, you know, 50 million followers. But the few artists that have straddled that fence of uh, the footwork that it takes, you know, you got to be out there in front of the people, old magazine interviews where, you know what I'm saying? It had to go in print first and you had to wait to see it and. You had to actually get out there in the road and 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 physically do things to up your brand versus now you can put a whole website on, send it out, blast people, show a boob shot or ass shot, and ooh, you got a million likes. You know what I mean? Uh, that's so true. That is, it's a very different world. Yeah. So once you decided you were coming back to music, did you decide to build a completely different brand or did you decide to kind of try to bring people in from the past and, and bring them up to date to where you are now? Um, that was, that's a great question because at the time I wasn't sure, and I, I won't make this long winded, I promise. I was unsure of how I was going to do that, which brings me to how I met Ward Archer. So I figured, I remembered in Atlanta, every time I went around people, it was always multi-platinum artists, multi-platinum international artists. And a lot of people in Atlanta hadn't been overseas. You got local artists that are completely famous in the United States, but have never, that's their dream to go to Europe and do the things that I've done. You know what I mean? And I said to myself, I'm living here, so I've got to become successful here. And do I talk about my past or do people think I'm a diva? Do I live off the past or do I try to create new fans? So I remember I said, let me see what's in Memphis for record labels and you know things like that. And I was going to put my own money into it, but someone said, no, that's not, that's not completely smart. So I said, okay, let me see what labels are here in Memphis. So I looked up and I saw Archer Records. Now, what 
really, I guess, intrigued me about Archer Records was that there was no one like me on their label. And in this industry, you can get caught up in a label that has 10 of you. And what do you bring different to the game? Are you skinnier? Is your butt bigger? Um, do you write your own lyrics? Someone writing for you? Are you sleeping with someone? You know what I mean? All those elements. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, I'm a real musician. I don't have time for that. And, you know, it's like an athlete. There's a time to retire in a sport if you're a football player or a basketball player. But musicians, you can sing well into your 50s and 60s and 70s. And music is is timeless. So, oh, yeah. So I was kind of like, I want to go somewhere where I would be a priority. Now, even if it took me two years to break myself again, at least I know that there's going to be people behind me and it's not an empire that I have to keep my stank eye open. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you going to rock with me and we're going to do this together as a team and the pie is split evenly? I don't want no more than what I deserve. And, and just that's just my whole thing. And so <clears throat> I sent um, I, on my little Mac, I went in GarageBand and created these uh, three songs. And um, I sent them to Ward. And I used my middle name, Tina Renee, as the artist's name. No history, no everything that I've done. And I was like, oh, I'm just an artist, you know. I moved from Atlanta to Memphis. I love to sing. Saw your site, saw the things that you're doing. Didn't see you have one of me. Here's these songs. If you're interested, give me a call. Real friendly, real nice and sweet. So the next day, he actually emailed me back and says, wow, I love your voice. Did you write this? And I'm like, absolutely. He was like, this is great. And then um, he was like, uh, when you have a chance, let's chat. So I said, OK. He asked me if I had a website. And I was like, yeah. TinaRenee.com. <laughs> huh? Right. I hadn't thought that far. And mind you completely, uh, this does not make me I'm not a big component of lying. But I was just afraid that people would turn me down because of the past success thinking. No, I totally understand that. OK. Um, and so. He said, okay, cool. I'm going to check you out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't create one because it was already taken. And in in those music that I sent him, I sent him a picture of myself. And so the next day he called me and he was like, hey, he was like, well, the music is different on your site and your picture looks a little bit different. Which one do you look like now? And is this old picture? And so I was like, Oh, damn, I'm busted. And I said, um, I haven't completely told you the truth. I would love to meet you in person if you have the time. And I know he was probably like, oh, crap, what? You know what I'm saying? And so I met with Ward in person and I said, um, my my middle name is Renee. So Tina Renee, that is my name. But um, I and I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. He was like, what and why and how did you end up on my doorstep in my studio? And um, so we spent a lot of time talking and then he was like, I'm not quite sure what to do with an artist like you. And um, I don't know where you fit at on my label. And I asked him, I was like, well, what is it that you don't see in me now that you saw when I sent you those raw demos? He was like, you're a freaking superstar. And I was like, I'm not a superstar. I have a past that I can't walk away from that only shows that I'm um, capable that I have a talent. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, okay. And so um, we just continued talking. This was like end of um, 2013 and we kept talking and then we just kind of decided to work. And he was like, what kind of producers do you like to work with? And I was like, I like to work with producers that allow the artist to have creativity in the music. Um, I need someone that plays all instruments. 
I need someone that's not going to just make a beat on a on a computer. I need someone that I can sing to and play my chords to and we can jam and feel it. I'm not a just and I'm not saying anything against people that make their own beats off a garage band or a beat machine or sample because I've been there. I've done that. But this is the part of Memphis that I fell in love with, the live instrumentation, the sound. You know, there's certain sounds you can't get in a studio, even though the quality now when you record and you get samples is great. But there's just something you can't get from the live sound of instruments. And so we went through a couple of producers, you know, and a lot of them were like, well, how much money you got? And I remember this one producer, I won't say his name because I understand people have their own agenda. But remember, I'm coming from a place where the first words are money. And I know it's a business, so don't get that misinterpreted. But that is the worst thing you can say to someone like me. Because mm. you can't produce a masterpiece if you don't have the passion to make the music. Because the money part will come. And he was like, well, how much you got for this project? And I was like, you know what? We were just looking for people that want to be here. And you're not the right producer for me. And he looked at me like, excuse my language, be bitch, please. And I'm like... Ah, he really did. He looked at me like, and I was like, you know what? I appreciate your talent, your history, all the success that you have had, but I'm looking for people on the same wavelength that I have. And this is something that I believed in, you know, from everything that I've I've been through. I believe that I had to look for people that reflected the same passion, direction, vision, blueprint, however you want to call it, that I had. And that's when I found Carrie. Carrie was just like, let's do this. He got the money he wanted. I got the producer I wanted. And it was, it was a perfect world. And the one thing that I, I can say that I dislike about this industry is that it, it should, I know you have to make money, right? From a, from a business owner perspective, but that should not be the first conversation when you're dealing with an artist. Mm. I, that's just my personal opinion. Because you have to have a connection. You know what I'm saying? I think that's very true. You have to have a connection with your producer or you won't be able to produce the art that should be produced. Yeah. It becomes, no, I wrote this. No, I wrote that. No, I wrote that. No, I wrote this. And you said, man. All right. I put that line in there. So I need, you know, I need credit on this song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Wow. Well, I just, ugh, your story to me is so inspiring because you came back from, you know, you didn't let it get you completely down. Like you took a break, which was good. I think you needed that. And then when you came back, you came into your own as an artist, which you really weren't in the beginning. You know, you weren't allowed to be your own complete creative self. And I, just, I think that's really exciting. I think that it's a great lesson for the listeners that you do need to be in touch with your creative self and not just worried about, you know, the, you've got this great situation you think, and they're just going to take care of you. Cause I see so many artists, they're like, Oh, I have a label now. They're going to take care of me. Or I have a manager. They're going to take care of me. And that's the worst thing you can say, because then you're not, you're not in touch with yourself creatively. You're not in touch with what you need as an artist. And, you know, obviously you've, you've come full circle and you're there. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I get often asked this question in interviews, but I wouldn't change anything. Be I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be who I am right now. And I know they say, oh, who wants to go through struggle? But don't you have to go through the struggle to show change and success? De whatever you define success as. And it's not always a dollar amount for me. That's, That's awesome. awesome. 
So what, what advice would you have to give to people that are starting out independent wise, you know, from what you've learned, like what would you be your big piece of advice or one of the major pieces of advice that you'd want to give them? I think practicing personal accountability to everything in work and life. I, 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 I think if you're not accountable for what you represent or if it's just to be part of the trend or if it's just to be like another artist, then I think you've lost, you know, the question behind the question. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really, that's really good. Because when you started out, you, you were under the thumb of a producer and you weren't your own artist, really. I mean, you got to do a lot of creative stuff, which was great. But when it came down to it, like you said, you were not in charge of what you wore, where you performed, you know, all of that. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's a big part of it. It's not just, it is a lot about the music, but it's, it needs to be about you, you know, you as a, as a brand, as a, as a, like if they're making you wear things that you would not wear is not comfortable for you, then you're not going to be comfortable doing your art. Yeah. I, I, excuse me, it takes me back to the I'll Die For You cover. I mean, that, when I look at that cover, I completely hated it. I looked like, I can't explain it. It looked, because I'm smiley, happy, the world is wonderful. Doesn't make me naive, but I looked like, you know, they're like, you're a rapper. You gotta look hard. You gotta look gangsta. You gotta look, and don't smile. And they used to tell me so many times, don't smile. If you look at everything from Sweetbox, I'm never smiling. Mm-hmm. If you know me now, I'm smiling. And I remember Ward, when we were taking pictures, he was like, do you have to smile all the time? I was like, you know what? We take a thousand pictures to get one and you're going to get one when you smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that you, you know, you just have to ask yourself, you know, what can I do to develop myself? Who am I? How can I, you know, change the game? And what can I bring to the table that's going to be different? Do I just think you have to as an artist. And I... Knowing that, whatever you define success as, you won't be because people won't be able to relate to that. If you wonder why reality TV is so successful, because people want what they can relate to. You know, it made me think I saw online on YouTube, this gentleman wanted to lose 300 pounds and he had 20, I think it was 22 million viewers watching his story throughout a year. And I said to myself, I've got only $300. You know what I'm saying? What is real about him that's not real about me? And how do I get the message if I have something to say out? This is a challenge every day in this industry. Because you almost have to be naked and post a naked picture for it to get a lot of likes or do something controversial to get people to recognize you. And once they recognize you, like they say, no bad press is good press, then you're either known for that thing and it's out there and they forget about the music. So it's like you have to know exactly what lane you want to be in. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, so many people, I mean, pardon my expression, but they whore themselves out to get the recognition. And then they think, well, once I have that, then I can do my artistic stuff. Yeah. But that stuff sticks with you. Yeah. No, you're, you're completely right. And I got a lot of flack when I moved to the States. People wanted to put me in the box. They're like, you're black female. You need to be doing R&B. You need to be doing neo soul. You need to be doing urban. You need to be rapping about the hood. And I was like, I'm trying to tell you guys, I'm not from the hood. I grew up in Europe. 
<laughs> I listen to Top 40 Radio. I know Rod Stewart who he is. You know, I know these artists, Top 40 Radio, we didn't get all the the things that EPMD rappers here in America and all these things. And so my music only reflects what I listen to in my house and my life. So why can't I be a pop artist? What defines a pop artist? Is it popular music? I mean, we have to all be put in a genre. Unfortunately, none of us artists ever want to be put in a genre because our music is so unique. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But we have to. and, And I, you know, I love rock music. I love soft rock music. You know, um, I know what you have to do to get and stay in the lane. You know what I'm saying? And music is going to evolve, you know, but uh, I just, yeah, you, you just have to know who you are. That, that's, that, that's great. And I just want to, I want to end this interview with that. You just have to know who you are because I think that is really what your journey says. And this has been so awesome. Like I looked at my watch and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been talking to you for an hour, but I love it. I mean, I think everything in here is going to be so useful for artists, um, you know, whatever part of their journey they're in to listen to what you went through and really get some inspiration from it. And, and, you know, maybe your story will comfort some people that have gone through similar things. So I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing it with us. And can you let everybody know where they can find you online? Of course. Yes. And thank you. Thank you so much for this, I guess, this outlet to be able to hopefully help someone else and um, uh, inspire uh, in, in whatever it takes marketing wise to get where, what, what we need out of this. Um, everybody can always find me at Love Tina Harris. And that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I use the love because I am love. <laughs> and it's free and it doesn't cost you anything to love. Which is which why, is why your album is called Free to Love, right? Yes. Love love it. Love love it. And where can they get the album? Everywhere. iTunes, Google, every aspect that's open, even in Germany and UK and France. It it's just released worldwide. Archer Records has done a phenomenal job of supporting me. And um, we're still growing this album, um, you know what I'm saying? And it's going to take some time to get the followers and the listeners to to feel good about what we've done. Well, well, I've heard it. I've played many songs from it on the podcast, and I can tell you it's awesome. So you guys go out and get it. And, and thanks so much, Tina, for spending this time with me. I know it will be beneficial to our listeners. I hope so. And thank you so much. And hey, if you listeners out there have any more questions, you can definitely send your questions to Bree or you can send them to me at Love Tina Harris on any of the sites. I would love to be able to engage new artists and hopefully be an inspiration to give them any direction that I can possibly give them. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.